0: welcome to the crr podcast my name is david foster i'm joined today by monty marsh and chrissy metz and we're going to talk a little bit about the precast products and industry that we're involved in start things off uh, chrissy you want to tell us about yourself a little bit
1: Yes, um, I uh, I came to Contractors Materials in 2013. I uh, I came from ConTech. I worked with Precasters for about seven years in the Great Lakes region, which was uh, Michigan, Ohio, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Indiana and Illinois. And uh, they were reorganized and found CMC. And um, when I got onto the company, I actually was in Heavy Highway for two years. But in those two years, I had people contact me through Facebook uh, because I had been gone from contact for six months and had a lot of good relationships with precasters. So I had people find me. And when I got to CMC, started relationships there and started getting them to buy rebar from us. And started to bring precasters on. So um, I've been there almost uh, ten years now, and we probably have over forty-five to sixty precasters. I would say a lot to do with Monty Marsh also coming on six months after I did. Uh, he was in precast also um, selling uh, different products to them. So
0: great, 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 Monty. Do you want to give a little bit about sure backstory?
2: Um, I started in precast with a company called Price Brothers. Then, after I left them, I took a few jobs and I joined Dane Superior in '83. And I traveled around the country quite a bit with them, working in different uh, parts of the country. And I worked with them for 30 years. I did a lot of work with a lot of precasters the last 10 years with them. And in 2013, I changed jobs and joined Contractors Material to kind of start a precast division. It's something the company didn't really wasn't really chasing a lot of that business and uh, they wanted to kind of go after it uh, kind of add to your line of products and we've been very successful in the last 10 years and it's really grown quite a bit to be a major portion of our, our company's business great
0: yeah i would definitely say that the precast uh, segment of our business has definitely taken off over the past 10 years or so it seems like uh, between the two of you uh, there's quite a bit of experience here with the precast market well, Monty, you said you traveled a lot. Uh, Chrissy, you said you were kind of focused more in Great Lakes area, Midwest, maybe. Right. Um,
1: Project management. Yep.
0: Um, so, what is precast more localized in terms of, or like I said, the Great Lakes area, the Midwest area, or is it used kind of nationally interchangeably? Is is each market different?
2: Um, it's pretty much it's pretty much used worldwide. Over in Europe, it's probably more more used over there in the United States it's it's a continuing growing product and you know with the labor shortages out there anymore there's a lot more opportunity to to use precast uh, to fill in for labor shortages when it comes to like brick masons and people like that
0: okay so I guess that kind of begs the question and maybe something that I'm not too familiar with what what is precast concrete? What makes it different than just concrete that I would go pour in my backyard for a foundation?
2: Uh, precast is a, basically a pre-fabricate, pre- prefabricated concrete products, which is poured in a location in a controlled environment. So the quality of precast is a, it's a much higher quality than a cast-in-place type project. Plus, they can do precast way in advance of a job and when the job's ready, instead of setting up on a job to pour in place, they can deliver the products right to the job as needed. So it could be a lot more timely to do one of these types of projects.
1: Right. And with temperature control inside the plants, they can pour year-round, whereas you can't really do a cast-in-place sub-below-zero degree weather. So having an inside you know, plants is also a great idea because, like I said, they can pour year-round. So.
0: Sure, yeah. We're recording this in the winter, and... Uh, I know single digit degrees outside the past few days and concrete blankets, uh, aren't necessary inside. So that is nice. Okay. Uh, so as far as the precast industry as a whole, where is it really used? I mean, is it going to be used for anything and everything? You said that it's a higher quality product, which is great, but does that lead it to being used in specific areas or is it kind of a uniform application?
2: Uh, it's used in a lot of different applications. So, in precast, there's really like three groups of types of precast. So, one of the ones we're heavily involved in is utility precast. And that's going to be pretty much underground type products, which would be manhole risers, it could be light pole bases, uh, box culverts. And a lot of the precasters, they get really busy when springtime hits, but they're building inventory throughout the winter to kind of get ready for the spring next type of precast is more structural precast which will get into like warehouses bridges uh parking garages and those types of products and the third type of precast is more architectural precast which gets into really high quality type precast products where they'll play around with different finishes with like four miners uh, they can get into like uh, thin brick so they can actually make a A thid brick can actually make a building look like actual brick. Uh, And then they get into like colored concretes, uh, colored aggregates. Architects can get real creative when it gets into uh, architectural type precast products. Interesting.
0: Okay, so there's a lot of information there, um, and it actually got me to thinking of a couple questions. So you said something about them building almost an inventory during the winter months. I think you were referencing more of the underground utility work, but is that a lot of similar products? Is it more of a, a shelf product you can purchase and just put into the ground, or is it something that each job or each project is unique?
1: Uh, the septic tanks, I mean, those are kind of, not to minimalize, but they're kind of cookie cutter. There's so many sizes, there's four foot, five foot, and the manholes, six foot, so those things, I think they just mass produce a lot, and when people need them, they can just pick them right off the property with, you know, grade rings or cones, whatever they would need. So
0: okay, so there is a lot of uh, interchangeability there. Um, that's that's good to know. And then what about? You also mentioned more structure and then architectural precast as well. I would imagine that that's going to be more uh, job specific, more custom, more regulated i guess you could say even utilities would be regulated i guess at that point but if standards are similar across the board then you're going to be able to build that inventory so with architectural precast you know are they the ones casting these uh gargoyles on the side of the building or something like that or is that more of a separate thing away from precast
2: well no they can get into doing stuff like that there's really when they get an architectural precast it's really the imagination of the architect on what he wants to do and create, and most of these high-end precasters will find a way to create something, whatever the architect you know designs.
1: Well, I've seen, I've seen like huge planters in front of like colleges. Yeah, that and also benches. Um, we did have an architectural precaster that he had. Uh, he did some actual some trees, uh, precast trees interesting um, yeah that he this was out i believe in iowa this was years ago um and we ended up selling him precast or selling him rebar for his precast trees that were just amazing high dollar interesting it's uh, something
0: you don't hear every day so there is cast in place concrete and then there's this precast concrete are there any other benefits when it comes to cast in place versus cast in place uh, I know cast in place you're you're dealing with uh, a lot of labor whether it's uh, called it a bridge deck uh, or something or even just a parking lot where you're tying in a bunch of those the rebar cement trucks line
1: up down the street just to dump everything onto it is
0: precast similar or do
1: they have their own? I would own? say it's a time savings for sure to have a structure brought to a job rather than You know taking a whole day to form something up pour it let it sit i mean i could see a time savings convenience
2: yeah Yeah, like when you get in like doing a bridge job you know they may pour these bridge beams like two or three months before you know they actually need to be set on a job site so you know if you go out to cast the bridge deck on site you know it may take a month or too much just to to pour it on site so you know, versus, like, taking out bridge beams and stuff like that, they still have to cast the deck, but it speeds speeds everything up a lot quicker. Sure, you're not letting each individual component have to cure
0: on site and then wait for the next piece. You can almost put it together like Legos.
1: Right. I mean, you've hit, you have forming, pouring, stripping forms. I mean, there's, I would think that's so labor intensive rather than just a truck coming with, you know, a boom to go ahead and drop what you need. Gotcha. All right. Very interesting.
0: Okay, so then kind of pivoting a little bit, um, we talked about your two involvement in the industry. Um, How does our company, CMC, MMI, CRR, what role do they play in the market?
2: Um, Well, CMC is a family-owned business, and we've been around since 1907, and we're still a Mm family-owned business. So I think one of the big things since we both joined the company, they have been very flexible on trying to grow the business. So if they see a need that a precaster has, they're willing to invest the money and equipment uh, to fill that need versus a major corporation that we kind of compete with a lot of cases. And they have to go through a lot of politics to be able to, to quickly adjust. And I think that's a big thing working for this company is uh, it's just, you know, if, if we need to purchase some type of asset or something like that, to help a precaster move forward in their job, they're willing to take that leap and 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 in the risk to go that direction.
0: Sure, it's something that's uh, I would say I pretty much taught in business school these days. Is you know, a smaller company has the advantage in being agile and with their innovation and their ability to you know uh, pivot when the time's needed versus a large corporation where there's like you said a little more politics involved and. Uh, especially with asset management and things like that. So, interesting. With that, I know, you know, cast-in-place concrete has, not specific, I should say, but more standard shapes, more standard layouts, standard tolerances, things like that. With the quality aspect that comes from precast, um, is there any uh, tighter tolerances, unique shapes, unique uh aspects to the steel products that are going and being involved with these
2: well they do have a lot more tighter tolerances because you're pouring your product in a form so you need to make sure those products fit and with a lot of automated equipment that we have at all of our locations it kind of gives us the ability to do that and then when we get into custom wire products we have a lot of automated equipment that is very precise on how it bends wire And, you know, we get compliments on our hoops and stuff like that on how round they are compared to other people's products. Okay. Right. I
1: mean, like the 50.5-inch hoop, we had a precaster out west that needed one that was like a 51. And we went ahead and, and we were able to, you know, get a template and make that for them. So. That's how tight the tolerance was. They couldn't go with the 50 and a half. They had to go with, the, so we went ahead and it ended, ended up being lucrative.
0: You mentioned the forms. I have to think that ensuring that there's enough concrete coverage, really inside and outside, if you're doing some sort of uh, like a manhole riser, that's going to be pretty critical. You don't want the steel itself just sitting either outside or inside. Is there anything else besides the steel products that we're involved with
2: uh, some of the products that we make, <clears throat> I don't even think in a precast application, I don't even think you do like in Port in Place. So, one of the projects me and Chrissy worked on was a railroad tie project for fast rail. And I mean, it was a very complex little welded cage that we had. It's like a two part cage. and I don't even think you could do something like that in Port in Place. So, it gives us the ability to do a lot of really custom stuff with our weld shop. And it gives us a lot of flexibility to try to meet a customer's needs and in, in really custom-type products.
0: So you mentioned the weld shop. Is welding a common thing that's done? Is there heavy application of welding involved with the precast industry to kind of get basically steel products formed and then the concrete formed around it?
2: Well, our welding department, what it does is, um, especially the last few years of the labor shortages and stuff like that, we make welding mats for precasters. So instead of them taking all their rebar and cutting it up and trying to make a mat, we actually have a mat that we'll put on a skid where they can just pick up, throw in their forms, and pour. So it's really a big labor savings for those guys. And in in addition to our welding department, uh, we also have like a burn table where we can be doing some custom uh, plates and stuff like that and a plate bender where we can bend like uh, weld plates and stuff like that Which we can add like uh, studs and rebar onto the plate. So that's all part of the uh, different things that we have the ability to to do so we're, we're trying to be able to supply a Precaster everything that he needs to move on a job
1: and what's nice with having the detailing department as well I mean for each precaster for each size mat they have we have not only our own drawing, but we also have templates in the shop for the welders so they can mass produce over and over again the exact same mat. So it's nice with the detailing department and the templates. So we have everybody's mats cataloged on file. So it's just an easy, here's the code, and the guys can just produce.
0: Great. Now there's something to be said for having a visual image of what you're supposed to be making in front of you while you're making it, right, um, so that you're Continually making the same part over and over, that's for sure. All right, so a few other products that were listed here that we didn't touch on that I know make up a big portion of what we do are some of the threaded products. You know, we, we have quite a few threaders here, but maybe some people don't fully understand what we're capable of when it comes to threading rebar and other products like that.
2: Yeah, you're, you're correct on that, Dave, because uh, a lot of people don't really realize how much threading we really get into doing. I don't even know how many threaders we have, but they're, they're pretty much at every one of our plants. And we have the ability to do, in the past we've basically been doing a cut thread, but now we have a lot of roll threading uh, equipment in all of our locations. And so we can, we can roll thread some pretty nice sized bars and something's kind of unique we can even do a roll thread for nc thread and coil thread and a coil thread's kind of unusual uh for a lot of people to do so we can do that on you know regular smooth bar or a plain bar plain rebar or epoxy rebar so it gives us a lot of flexibility on those pre i want to make you know secondary port connections we have the ability to supply you know the secondary type bars
0: sure um that does beg a question though, because there's a lot of information there. What is a roll thread and why is it different than a cut thread?
2: Uh, roll thread, you're actually rolling the threads up and it actually, it's cold forming the bar to make a stronger thread than cut thread. Cut thread is basically just remo- removing material where the thread kind of is there after you cut out excess material. Where the roll thread, you're forming it up and it strengthens and increases strength of the thread. So you can get a stronger splice then at that point? Correct. Okay, good to know. So
0: uh, if there's definitely an application for that requires that stronger splice, a roll thread seems to be the better way to go. And then you mentioned something about coil threads. You know, what, what makes a coil thread different than like an NC thread?
2: Uh, coil thread is like a very coarse thread. And it's not, I mean, there's a few states that require a coil thread for their connections and stuff like that, it's not too common. But it's just something else that we can offer that uh, very few other companies have the ability to do.
0: Are these coil threads? You mentioned that some states require them. Um, is it like an interchangeable product for uh, a roll thread or an NC thread? Is it, or is it uh, something you know a completely different application that's being used it, it, for?
2: It's it's pretty much a completely different application. So it really depends on you know what they cast in the concrete, what kind of insert that's in there. And usually they're typically for a secondary type connection.
0: So with these threaded bars, is it just like a standard application where they're doing it, or is there any special things that we can use or value-added we can that can accompany these threaded bars?
1: Uh, well, with a lot of the precasters, um, it's it's not specific sizes. We can bend. It's not just like a two-foot bar with another two-foot bar being held together by a coupler. A lot of times, it's it's. Um, Custom bends, it's to hold different products together, different like wing walls or head walls or anything with box culverts. But we do uh, quite a bit of threading for these precasters and uh, we can pretty much do anything they want. Like Monty has said, family owned company, we'll, we'll go the lengths for them to get what they need. So, yeah, going the extra mile. Right. Uh, working
0: with our customers to figure out the solution.
1: I mean, we also, you know, we have some precasters that. They have to use epoxy or A706, so there's there's not a limit on what kind of bar that we use, plain or epoxy. The sky's the limit. So there's no yeah, there's no limits on what type of steel that we can yeah, use. I yeah, I mean
2: we do a lot of jobs that we'll get into bars uh, that may have bars that are like you know 30, 40 foot long with threads on it, and that's right. you know we have the ability to do that and move stuff around in our shop to be able to do that. Right so, for sound
1: walls, that's yeah. we've done some of the posts where these bars, yeah, they're anywhere from 20 to 35 feet long. And, you know, a number 10 bar, number 11, and we're using a crane and a couple guys, and we're threading these bars six, you know, six inches, uh, a foot and a half. Seriously, sky's the limit on that with us. A foot of
0: thread, is that what you're trying
1: to say there? Right, right, I mean, it depends on, you know, how long the bar is and how it's gonna be cast, and and, uh, yeah, we can pretty much, we can thread as much as they need. That's uh, pretty impressive because I'm sitting here thinking of the,
0: uh, you know, bridge work that I, I'm mostly involved with, and you know, you're only dealing with a two or three inch thread at most at some points, and a foot long thread is pretty uh, pretty right. impressive. It just thing depends on, on the yeah
1: the application of the sound. A lot of these sound walls at the precasters, uh, as you can see on the highway, there's you know in between each wall there's a post, and in that post there's usually four. Long threaded bars, usually larger diameter of 10, 11.
0: Another thing that I wanted to bring up involves all of these tilt-up buildings. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with where we're at here in Northern Kentucky, um, it seems like tilt-up uh, warehouses have been going up nonstop for the past about five years. And I know that we have supplied quite a bit of material to precasters. Um, in the form of reinforcement for these, is there what kind of products are going into
2: that? Yeah, there's uh, in this market in the Midwest. There's a lot of precasters to get into an insulated wall panels, and we do make a, a, a reinforcement to connect the inner and outer whites with a welded wire girder, or some people call it truss. So you know, that's a big part of our business. That's one of the products that, uh, you know, precaster asked us a few years ago if we can help them out because they were having a problem getting it from other sources. And that's where, being a family-owned company, they're willing to invest in a company and do this. So, you know, over the last three or four years, it's turned out to be a big part of our business. It's interesting to know how they're used because the sandwich panels, the insulated
0: wall panels um, that they're being used for, I know... Uh, in a lot of warehouses, a little insulation goes a long way, especially on some of these cold days like I said we're recording in the winter. Um, it can get cold out there when it's just a plain single panel uh, of concrete between you and the elements All right, so I'm kind of moving on a little bit We'll talk more and broadly speaking about the precast industry itself, kind of all over the country. Are there any regulating bodies or groups? I know for rebar specifically we're involved with CRSI is there Anything similar to that in the precast industry?
2: Uh, yes, there's there's really two main groups. Um, one of them is the MPCA, and the other one is PCI. We're members of the MPCA nationally, and that is pretty much predominantly the underground products type group. The PCI is more of the structural and architectural precast type products, and we're part of the PCI regional locations.
0: Well, that actually brings up a good point. When I was driving the other day, I saw a... Uh, it looked like it was painted onto a, I guess it was a manhole riser that was on the side of the road. NPCA was painted onto it real big. I'm, I'm imagining there's some sort of regulating body when it comes to all this
2: underground utility. Yeah, I mean, uh, NPCA, they, they certify their precast plants. Right now they have a total of 663 producer members across the United States, and there are a total of 1,800 plants in North America. Uh, PCI, which, again, is more of the structural part of it, they have 248 producer members in the United States. And a lot of the pre that we do do a lot of business with, they may be a member of one or the other, or they could be a member of both these organizations and uh, working with both of them. And a lot of them, to be part of these groups, they have to be certified, and they do have plant inspections. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if they're yearly or biannually, but they do inspect plants to make sure that they're doing everything to th- The way they want things done at each location
0: okay so you you mentioned something about them either being certified to either one or the other or possibly both does that mean that based on these different segments that precasters themselves are focused on one particular product or product line um, or are precasters more um, you know they're going to get whatever work they want and they'll
1: figure out how to do it i would think the latter what you just said basically you know if if they get the work then you know go ahead and, and getting into like let's say pci for the structural i mean i think they'll go the you know the mile to get the certification to be able to produce
0: a precast beam or a precast panel or something like that for a structural application as opposed to if they've been doing you know manholes or any utility work for the past 20 years they're they're willing to pivot
2: yeah, if they see an opportunity, I think, and they have the ability to do something, they're going to be flexible to see if they can do that. And again, a lot of these, a lot of precasters are part of bigger organizations. Then you have a lot of these family-owned precast operations that, you know, they want to grow their business, so they're they're flexible and they'll find ways to do stuff that uh, some of the bigger ones might not be able to do that, or they may pawn it off on one of their other plans to do something. Interesting. Okay.
1: Right. I, I mean, I, I know a precaster that actually opened a plant in a whole other state just for one job. And they got the, the forming and all the equipment in just to perform something that they don't do with other plants because they saw an opportunity. Okay. So similar to our business, if,
0: they, uh, if opportunity comes knocking, they're willing definitely to take advantage of that you know, prior to this podcast starting, we were kind of talking a little bit about the industry. And you mentioned there was almost a family aspect to how different precasters interact with each other. It's not necessarily cutthroat about getting the next big project. It's more about kind of coming together in some way.
2: Yeah, uh, both MPCA and PCI, they they kind of all work together to grow the industry because there's there's a lot of growth opportunities and, you know, there's a lot of, PCI is very strong with uh, box lunches with architects and engineers to, to try to push people more towards using precast versus cast-in-place or the brick-and-block type buildings. And, I mean, they are very proactive, both NPC and PCI, in trying to grow the, the business in that direction.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, you mentioned that uh, it's growing in the U.S., so I would imagine that these organizations taking the lead and kind of gathering everybody together to lobby for more precasts is definitely going to help and probably the right path to take. With these two organizations, do they have any sort of public-facing ways to get information out? Uh, you know, I'm thinking like trade shows, things like that.
2: PCI and MPCA they kind of joined together a few years ago. MPCA uh, has always had a precast show. It's been going on for probably like, I don't know, Probably close to 50 years now and probably in the last three or four years PCI kind of joined to be part of that same group so they annually they have a, a precast show usually it's in the, the first quarter usually in February and it it's getting a bigger bigger draw every year and then both organizations usually have like a fall convention that they have and the other show that we we really belong to too is the World of Concrete so we actually We'll be at the World of Concrete show and the precast show coming up uh, in the first quarter of almost every year.
0: All right, so you guys will be available then to uh, answer any questions that people might have if they stop by a booth or if you're walking around just to uh, interact with previous customers, future customers, and current customers, right? Correct. All right, so kind of wrapping up, I just wanted to say, you know, I, I appreciate the time that you guys had kind of talk about some of the products and the industry a little bit. And for any of those listening, Feel free to stop by one of our booths at the World of Concrete or the precast show or any of the smaller trade shows that we might be at to discuss any of these products or capabilities. Uh, Hopefully we can help you out in the future. Thank you all. Thank you both. Thank you.